morning, I want to I share a message with you that really just speaks about the hope that we have as Christians and the hope that God calls us to. Uh, the Bible says that when God calls us, He called us in hope. He called us with hope. And so when we talk about hope as Christians, uh, we're talking about something more than just a Christian cliche. You know, it's, just, it's more than just a pat on the back. You know, Christians have all these kinds of things that they say to each other when, when times get tough or when they don't know what to say, uh, like, like, hey man, I'm praying for you. How many of you actually pray for those people that you say that to, right? Like so, so sometimes it's just this Christian thing that we say, hey, I'm praying for you, and then we just don't pray for them at all. So sometimes what I do instead is I quickly pray for the person, and then I say, hey, I prayed for you, because at least that way I know that it's a guarantee that I'm actually going to follow through on it. Uh, but we have all these Christian kind of things that we say, and sometimes people uh, uh, say them, but, but when we really look at what the Scriptures say about it, we recognize that, that things like hope are more than just Christian cliches. It's actually a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a position. It's, it's a way that we face. It's a vision of our lives. And for Christians, our lives are governed by the hope that we have in Jesus. We do every single thing that we do by hope. We face every single situation, every circumstance, every season absolutely filled with hope. This is the bedrock of our lives. It's what we have in Jesus. And that hope is for all of us. It is, it is true for all of us, even in the, the most difficult situations. Even talking about death, when, when, when Paul writes about death, he says, we sorrow. We do have sorrow in this life, but we do not sorrow as those who are without hope. We're never without hope. Your life is never without hope. As long as you are alive, as long as you are here on this earth, as long as God's grace abounds, there is hope for every single one of us in every single situation, no matter how broken it might seem. And so we have this true and this steadfast hope. And I want to I wanna go to John chapter number two this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your, your notebooks, you can, you can take them out and just go to John chapter number two. I'm going to read the story that we've covered when we, obviously when we did uh, our series in the book of John. I remember preaching on this, on this specific chapter and this specific occasion. Um, but today I want, to, I want to just highlight something else out of this, which is in John 2 verse 6. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with, uh, with you, you can follow with us on the screen. But in John 2 6 it says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Right, six stone water jars uh, filled to the brim for the rites of purification. This is a wedding that Jesus is at with his disciples, and they've all gone through to this wedding, and they are, are, are having this feast. A wedding in those days wasn't just an afternoon affair. It was like three days or four days long, as long as the party would go on, and there would, people would travel from far, and they would, they would really celebrate uh, this, this, this wedding and this marriage together, and, and, uh, and so Jesus is there. Jesus is at this wedding um, in John chapter number two, and it says that at the wedding, there were these six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. There was a problem in that the, uh, that the wine at this party, at this celebration ran out. And so Jesus gives an instruction. He says, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, calls the bridegroom closer. And he said to him, 
Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely the poor wine, but you have kept the best until last. Everybody serves the poor wine or, or, the, or the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely the poor wine, but you have kept the best until last. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, The Best is Yet to Come. And that's not a cliche, that's true in Scripture, that the best is yet to come. For your life, for your family, for your career, for your future, the best, the very best that God has is yet to come. And that's the hope that we have. Um, and so let's, let's just pray together this morning, and we'll get into this, this verse uh, in John 2. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we can sit here and God, that if, if we have been experiencing moments of despair, moments of struggle, moments of, of doubt, Lord, that this morning the hope of Jesus can fill our hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as those stone water jars were filled with water, that our hearts would be filled with hope this morning, Lord. We thank you, God, for the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing of your word and the, and, and the righteousness that we stand in this morning. Thank you that each of us can be welcome and, and can experience peace in your presence this morning because of your great love and because of your great grace. Father, we, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages, how it challenges, how it sets us free, and how it speaks to us about who we are in Christ. And we thank you, God, that the very best for us and for our family and for our church and for our city and our nation is yet to come in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. So I love how at this first miracle that Jesus did, this is literally where the scripture says that, that, that the, the glory of Jesus, this was the first occasion where his glory was revealed and, and that God wanted the world to know who Jesus is and he chose this specific moment um, to begin to reveal to the world who Jesus truly is. I love that this, the story of this first miracle, that in the story there's a great calamity that takes place. This, um, I don't, if, for those of you that have kids and that have ever organized a children's birthday party, just hands up if you've ever been through that trauma of organizing a children's birthday party, right? It is the most traumatic thing ever. Like I've organized tons of party for, my, for myself, my own birthday or whatever, but when it comes to your kids, it's like a three-year-old birthday party and it's the most traumatic thing ever. Uh, yesterday, I, I phoned Militia and Mona and I said, hey guys, I might just uh, be a little bit late coming to your party because Callista's party or whatever. And then they phoned me real quick and they're like, hey, that party's only next month. But because Militia was like so like intense about this party, she sent the invites out already like last week or two weeks ago. And, and, and it was like, you know, when you're organizing a kid's party, um, it's really stressful. And I remember the first one we did, uh, I think the first birthday that we organized for Eli, um, we had all these people arriving, but we had planned so many things for this party that the worst thing happened, which is when you're still preparing for the party and the people start arriving. We're like, who comes early to a first birthday party, right? Just give us 10 minutes. And the people just started arriving and uh, we, we're trying to like, you know, welcome them. But at the same time, there's so much that still has to get done. And it's this great calamity that happens. And, uh, and I think to myself, imagine, I mean, we were just having kids over from, from Eli's preschool or whatever, but imagine if we had somebody really important coming. Imagine if you were organizing a party and somebody that you really look up to or somebody that you really admire was coming over. For Brendan, it would be Justin Bieber. If Justin Bieber was coming over <laughs> to Brendan's party, he would experience the pressure of that moment. And, and uh, or if you, had, if you had somebody that you really look up to coming. But now imagine if it's your wedding and on your guest list, 
you've got Jesus of Nazareth, right? Imagine the pressure associated with, oh, that guy who's going to save the sins of the whole world, he's coming to my wedding, right? Imagine trying to write a speech when you know that Jesus is going to be there. And not just Jesus, he's bringing like a whole crowd of his friends with, like Jesus and all the disciples just roaming throughout the land. They've got, you know, people know about them already. It's the Messiah, of the Savior of the world coming to your wedding. This incredible pressure. And imagine being at that wedding and just hoping against all hope that everything just goes incredibly smoothly at this wedding just to hear, just to find out that you had run out of wine that there's no more wine. And back in the day, it wouldn't be like, okay, it's, it's fine, we don't have wine, just break out some, you know, some iced tea or whatever. I mean, it was water or you had wine. So you either had dirty water or you would have wine. And, uh, and finding out that you didn't have wine would be a great dishonor to the bridegroom and to his family. It would count as a great dishonor because he would have fallen short in his preparations. And I thought about that. I thought about the times in my life that I feel like I have fallen short. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. That there was this great dishonor because you realized that you're not as perfect as you thought you were or you weren't as together or you hadn't had things as figured out as you had hoped and all of a sudden you realize I fall short. In this area, in this moment, in this situation, I have fallen short. I don't know if any of you that, that go and do the groceries or if you go and buy something at Pick and Pay or at Willie's or whatever and you get to the till, is there anything worse than all of a sudden realizing that you don't have enough money in your account? You know, when you've got like every professional mom from Bryanston and Lone Hill's eyes burning in the back of your head, like, I don't have time for this, son, and you're standing there going, uh, um, sorry, I just, it's, it's the wrong, I've uh, got the wrong card. And if you've ever done this, you start flicking through cards, even though it's like e-bucks cards and stuff, you're like, oh, sorry, this card, I forgot to transfer money from my other card, and um, just, you know, insurance on a Ferrari is crazy, um, you know, just... <laughs> I'm just a little bit short, and then you stand there trying to transfer money. Who's ever done this? You're like transferring money on your phone, and you're like, internet, please don't fail me now, because it's so intense, the pressure of realizing that you've fallen short, right? And, and, and at times, fortunately, not too many times, you've asked, I've actually had to leave my groceries there, and so, you know, I'm just going to phone the bank. There's definitely a mistake. I've got tons of money on here. It's just a mistake. <laughs> but it's horrible. It's horrible falling short. Uh, when you get to that moment, there's so much pressure. And there's so many ways that we fall short, not just when we're standing at the till. You know, you stand at the till, and even the lady who sits there, who's working at the till, is judging you. And she's like, why don't you just sort your life out, man? Why don't you just sort it all out before you arrived here? And then we could have done this thing, you know? Um, And so we fall short. Our plans fail. Our situations change, and, and things become difficult. We face the reality of our shortcomings, and honestly, it can be a scary place to be. But this is why we need Jesus in our lives. The Bible says in in Romans 3 that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. There isn't a single person here who can look at another and say, well, you have fallen short, but I haven't. Not one of us can do that. We're all in the same boat when it comes to falling short. No matter what your life has looked like, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But that's why we need Jesus at the party. That's why you need Jesus in your life. That's why it says, but the grace of God, the free gift that he has given us is this righteousness, is the salvation that we have. Jesus is at your party, he's in your life to save you from the areas that you have fallen short. And we've fallen short in every area. So 
at this party, the, the, the bridegroom falls short. He doesn't have enough wine. He, doesn't have, uh, he hasn't made enough preparation. He's, you know, he's swiping his card, but it's maxed out. He doesn't have, you know, weddings are expensive. He's, he can't do anything to save himself in this moment. And Jesus says something to the servants. Mary says, hey, don't worry. I know who my son is. He'll make a plan. And he says to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. You know, that's the best thing that we can do when we fall short. It's just do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Just believe whatever he calls us to believe. Just stand on his word. And, and Jesus says to the servants to take the water that was used for the purification rites. Now, what that's talking about is under the law, if you were going to eat and you were going to have a feast, before you can eat with people, you would have to come and wash your hands and wash your feet and sometimes wash your face. And there, there would be this rite of purification that you had have to go through before you can sit down and eat with others. It was something that, that the Jews had to do as they followed the law. And so Jesus takes this water, but sometimes people think it was drinking water. This was dirty water. This was water that was filled with, with, with dust that had been on people's hands as they came to the water and washed themselves. And they wore sandals and walked from far. They didn't catch an Uber. They walked from far uh, to be there and, and were covered in dust. And so they come to the, 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 these these stone jars of water, and they begin to wash off the dust from their past in this water. And I can just imagine that water being dirty and, and grimy and, and, and really kind of a, a dark brown color from all the dust that had been washed off from all the people that were sitting there. And Jesus says, I am going to reveal my glory with your dirty water. I'm going to take your dirty water. I'm going to take the dust of your past. I'm going to take the brokenness of your situation. I'm going to take the way that the world has clung to you as you have journeyed through life. And I'm going to take that water to reveal my goodness and glory in your heart and in your life. I'm going to take your dirty water. The places that you've walked that you shouldn't have walked. The things that you've handled with your hands that you shouldn't have touched. The things that you've seen. The things that you've spoken. I'm going to take all of it and I'm going to make use of it in this situation. I'm going to use it. What is it in your life that's like dust that you have wanted to wash off, that you wished was never a part of your story? What is that situation that you've faced or that, that mistake that you've made or that sin that you've struggled with? What is that part of your life that's, that's broken that you wish was never there? God says, I'm going to use those things to reveal my glory. I'm gonna use that broken situation to show you who I am. In 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about this. It talks about how God doesn't desire for us to try and turn ourselves into some sort of a heavenly vessel because that's often what people think about when they think about Christianity. They think, in order for God to use me, I have to be so adorned as a, a heavenly vessel that, that God can just... Uh, reveal himself in me and through me. We think that our lives need to look a certain way in order for us to reveal God's glory. But, but what this scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 4 says, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Just, we can so just quickly just hop over that scripture, but just listen to this, what God says. I am the one who makes light shine out of darkness. That's who God is. He is the one who causes light to come forth from darkness. And in our own lives, as we have all sat in darkness and operated in darkness, He is the one that when He speaks into your heart, 
He calls light forth from your most darkest places. That's what God does. He has shone that same light. He has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of God has shone in the most darkest regions of our lives. And they reveal, as that light shines, it reveals the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Just whenever I read that sentence of the face of Jesus, I, um, I cannot help but think back to a dream that God once gave me and, uh, and, and just a prophetic kind of image that has been over my life for as long as I can remember as to what the purpose of my life in this church and everything that I do would ultimately be. And, and uh, I had this image of a group of people together in a hall, and they were building this massive puzzle. And these puzzle pieces were coming together, and there were just so many people just so excitedly building at this, this big puzzle piece. And it like covered the, the entire floor region of this big hall that we were all in. And people just so amped and so pumped about it. And, and we were building and building and building. And towards the end of the dream, when, when, that, when that puzzle piece, everything was fit together, when it lifted up, it was a massive image of the face of Jesus. Just the face of Jesus. It was like, that's what we're doing here. That's what we do when we have church. That's what we do when we live out the calling that God has on our lives. That's what we do when we wake up in the morning. Every conversation, every, every, every uh, hug, every act of love, every act of kindness, every moment of every day, what we are doing is we are simply trying to show people the face of Jesus. We're simply revealing the goodness and the glory of God through our lives. And as we work together, we all piece these things together. God pieces together our story he pieces together our, our, our story together and as individuals. And, and when, the, when, the, when the masterpiece is done, what you will see is the face of Jesus. That, that, that's what we boast in. That's what we hope in. That's what we glory in. It's just the face of Jesus. So God has shone in our hearts to give, light to, the, of, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that glory. But listen to this. It says, but... But we have this treasure, this glory of God, this face of Jesus in jars of clay. In jars of clay. Normal earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's where, where God reveals his glory, is not in our, our attempt to be divine but through our humanness, through our earthenness, he reveals this glory through all of your humanity and through all of our brokenness, God's light shines so that people will know that this, this past surpassing power, this incredible power, it's not us. It's not us. It's him. It belongs to God. If there is power available in your life today, and there is, if we operate in powerful ways of influence and, and, and in, in encouragement and inspiration and the presence of God, it's not because we are sufficient of ourselves, but it's because God's power is, disp is on display in our brokenness and through our humanity. So just like those stone jars that held the dirty water, we too are earthen vessels. And God's light shines into these vessels. And what it does is, just like that dirty water, when the light of God shines, when the word of God comes, when Jesus says, just take that water, what he does is he purifies it. 
He purifies our dirty water. He cleanses us. In John 15 verse 3, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What is the word? What is this word that Jesus has spoken? It is the word of the gospel. It is the word of his grace. It is the word that Jesus spoke, the words that he spoke when he was hanging on the cross and he looked down at the people who had nailed him. And let's be clear this morning that we are the ones who nailed him to the cross. It is our sin that put him there. He chose to go to save us, but it is our sin that nailed him to the cross. And Jesus looked at the ones who nailed him to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. That's the word that makes us clean. The Bible says that God has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. The word of adoption as sons and daughters, as we're welcomed home. The word where God says, I will not impute their sins to them, but I will give them grace. That word declares us as washed. I'll never forget when uh, I was younger and I was part of the, the AFM church, the Apostolic Faith Mission, which was like uh, the, the Pentecostal church in our country that started back in, I think, 1901, just after John G. Lake came from Seattle and did a mission here in Africa, and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and uh, my grandfather was, was one of the district chairmans in that movement in the early days uh, when it was really, really, really unpopular, it still sometimes is, but really unpopular to believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and, and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and, and I remember um, every Easter they had this camp at a huge campsite called Maranatha. Uh, I don't actually know where it is in Joburg, but we went there every year, and, and all the pastors and all the, the people from the AFM churches all across the country, it was a massive movement, and it still is, uh, would come across, and, and uh, it's actually in, they had a little, a little kids ministry there called Sunshine Corner, and I think I was three or four years old when I, went, when I gave my heart to Jesus in that moment, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit at like the age of six or seven, just there, and just, just experienced it. That's really where I learned about Jesus, and I remember waiting for that weekend, Easter weekend, every single year was the best weekend of my life. My whole family was there. We had a big family. And so um, we, we would often take tents and, and caravans and everything along. And we would camp around um, as a family and there would be worship services every day and just amazing times of ministry over the Easter weekend. Um, and we had a lot of fun. And, um, and I remember, and I'll never forget this. I was only maybe about six years old. I was maybe the age of, of my son Eli now. Um, and I sat in the one caravan um, with, with my gran. And my gran said to me, and I don't know what brought this uh, conversation about, but the one thing I'll never forget, and the one thing that I've done every day since then, is she looked at me and she said, um, she asked me what we pray for when we pray. And even though I was only, you know, maybe six years old, she said to me, she said to me, you pray every day that God would just wash your heart in his blood. God, just wash my heart in your blood. Now I know that, that, when I am cleansed, as the book of Hebrews tells me, I am cleansed once and for all. So it's not like I get a little bit dirty and I need re-cleansing every again. My mind needs cleansing, that's for sure, but my spirit, my heart is cleansed. But it's something that I've prayed for myself every single day of my life since I was five years old, is God, just wash my heart in your blood. Just cleanse my heart of all impurity. And that's a journey that I'm on where I want God to deal with the deepest parts of my heart, not just the surface level stuff. I just don't want to, I don't want to just appear as a Christian. I don't want to just stand up and say, and say that all the Christian things like we spoke about earlier, I really want my heart to reflect the glory of God. 
Isn't it incredible that we get that opportunity to ask God, God, will you cleanse my heart in your blood? Wash my heart in your blood. And so since the age of five, I've consistently prayed that, Jesus, wash my heart in your blood. Uh, my little boy, Leo, three years old, loves to draw, but like on everything he's not supposed to. Um, and he finds something to, to draw on or to, to use on himself every single day. Like literally a day doesn't go by where Leo hasn't found something um, to, to, to dirty himself with. And just yesterday, um, uh, in the last two days in fact, um, yesterday he came into the room looking like the Joker, um, but like the Heath Ledger, you know, the scary Joker, not like the, the tame Jokers from the previous movies. Um, he looked like the Joker. He just had like, and he had got in to uh, um, my mom's uh, uh, makeup drawer and got in some lip ice or, or some lipstick, and, uh, but he basically covered his entire face, his hands, the cupboard door. I mean, everything was just full of this lipstick. And I said to him, Leo, what are you doing? And he was like, no, his lips were dry. And so he's just like... <laughs> and, um, and one of the other things that happened is we, we walked downstairs and, and found on the, you know, the, the, the velvet kind of leather, suede leather couches, these long drawings with like a permanent marker that had been drawn on, on the couch. And so obviously this was a moment of panic that we faced two days ago um, with a permanent marker on the couch. Um, but fortunately, my mom has the stuff that you can spray on the couch that pretty much just removes everything. Just the toughest stain. So there's still kind of, you can still kind of see, we're hoping it'll fade over time. Um, <laughs> a little bit of artistic expression left on the couch, but, but it removes the toughest stains. And I was just thinking about that image and thinking about how we have stains on our heart. You know, there's like some stuff that just comes right off. There's some stuff that you just quickly wash it and it comes out. But then there's certain things that it feels like this, this is never going to go away. Like, how am I going to deal with this consistently going forward? Like, how am I going to get rid of this, this sin issue in my life or this habitual thought that I continually have? Or how am I going to get cleansed? But the scripture tells us that the blood of Jesus washes us. It cleanses us of all unrighteousness. It is the ultimate stain remover. It will remove anything, any blemish on your heart when the blood of Jesus washes it, you are truly cleansed so that your heart is as white as snow, pure in the grace of God. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light and he is in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you walk in the light, if you recognize who Jesus is and you begin to trust him in your walk, his blood cleanses you of all sin. And so there's this dirty water at the party. And Jesus says, bring that dirty water because I'm going to do a purifying work through your life. That's how I'm going to reveal my glory. By changing something that was so dirty and so far gone and, and, and something that wasn't usable in that current form. And through my grace and through my intervention and through the intercession of my spirit, I'm going to show you what I can do with dirty water. And he, he brings it close. And, and, and like we saw there in, in John 2 verse 9, it says, the master of the feast, once he had tasted of this dirty water now turned into wine, he calls the bridegroom closer, this guy that was standing and facing dishonor, facing this calamity. And he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the best until last. Do you believe that for your own life? That as God works in your heart, as God works in your life, 
that he has saved the best for last. Do you know that in your life, and I really mean this with all of my heart this morning, you have not lived your best days yet. And I don't care what phase of life you're in, your best days are still ahead of you. You haven't experienced the, the joy and the goodness and the blessing and, and all the things that God wants to still do in your life. You haven't experienced the best of it yet. You're only just beginning to understand the great things that God has prepared for you. Theo said it during worship. That it says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the incredible, the great, the surpassing things that God has in store for those whom he loves. This morning, there is so much more that God has for your life. And I want to encourage you, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for second best because your best is still ahead. Your best moments, your best relationships, your best blessings, your best career options, your best, your best breakthroughs, they're ahead of you. They lie ahead of you. The best is yet to come. And, and, and let's just be clear on this, that this is not normal, right? This is not normal. This is not the path of human experience. In general, the presence of brokenness in human life leads to further brokenness. In, normal, in, in the usual circumstance, hurt people end up hurting people who end up hurting other people. It just perpetuates. Everything in this, in, on this planet, you can have a nice car today, it can be brand new, it can be amazing, and tomorrow it's a little bit older than it was yesterday. All things wear out and, and, and get worn and, and, and get tired and, and get broken in this world. In general, the water gets dirtier with time, not cleaner. Anybody who has a pool in Joburg knows what I'm talking about, right? If you just leave that pool there, pretty soon it looks like a marsh or a swamp or like there was definitely some snapping turtles and some crocodiles in there. It's just, it just gets green. And because if you leave things like they are, in general in this world, all things get worse, not better. But not so when Jesus is involved. Not so when Jesus is in your life. Not so when Jesus is present. He keeps the best until last. And people, just like the bridegroom, just like the master of the feast, will marvel at your story. They will marvel when they look at your life. Because our lives become, over time, a grand display of the providence of God, of the involvement of God, and of the glory of God. Because things that should be going backwards end up getting better. Things that should be deteriorating end up improving. There is redemption in every story. This is, this is God's story and he pieces it together. He writes every single verse, every single line. He redeems every single broken moment until we literally end up standing on a hilltop shouting, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is in this story, how can I not be filled with hope? That's what God does. Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Some things, every random thing, every second thing, most things, no, this verse says all things, all things. For those who love God, all things, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He has a purpose for your life, and every single moment will, in the end, be something that you can look back at and be grateful for, because you'll know that that is part of the story that God wrote in your life. 
So we don't need to lament. Uh, I sometimes hear Christians saying that we should sit in sackcloth and ashes like the Old Testament. And I understand it in the forms of repentance, but, but if you sit down, you get right back up again because your repentance is already, uh, as you repent, your, your, your salvation is already complete. You don't have to wait in the sackcloth. You don't have to wait in the ash. You don't have to sit in the dust. You don't have to have that dust on you because the dust is in the water and Jesus has already turned the water to wine. So we don't sit in remorse. We don't hold the hand of regret. We're not prisoners of the past or even our present circumstances because we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things are working. They're working right now together for good. Every part of your story. And ultimately, Jesus keeps the best for last. The sweetest tasting wine. The bottle hasn't even been opened yet. It's still in the cellar. It's still just lying there ready to be opened at the right occasion. The greatest victory is still ahead of you. On June 17, 1963, near the end of his life, C.S. Lewis wrote a letter to Mary Willis Shelburne, who was sick in hospital at the time, and they really thought that she was uh, facing the end of her life in that moment, and um, C.S. Lewis wrote her a letter, and in this letter he said, there are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. There are far, far better things ahead for your life than anything that you've left behind. We're filled with hope. The best is yet to come. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. You know, when, when, when the dawn rises, when the sun rises in the morning, the path of the righteous, our paths, we have been made righteous by our faith in Christ Jesus, is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's talking about your life. Don't think, oh, that's just a Christian thing. That's just a Christian scripture. This is your life. The path of your life is like the light of dawn. It comes up and there's light, but it just grows brighter and brighter until full day. That's our journey. That's our story for every single one of us. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're going through in this present time, it's, it's not even worth comparison to how that thing is going to work in your heart, how God is doing something expensive in your life. You know that God doesn't want to do cheap things in your life. He wants to do something expensive. And even when the road is incredibly hard, it's because he's just paying a higher price. That's what it is. And you're going to sit with something, a value and a strength and a character and a hope that is something far more expensive than any one of us could ever have afforded. And people will look and go, how did you become this person? And you'll be the first to say, not because of me, but because of the grace of God. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident in this very thing. That he who started a good work in you will perfect it. I'm so grateful. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful about that for my own life. That I know that God started something in me 
and he is the one who is faithful, even when I'm faithless. The scriptures, 2 Timothy 2.13 says that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So that means that it doesn't even really depend on, on, on the strength of your faithfulness. It depends on the strength of his faithfulness. That he who started the good work in you is the one who will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage us all today not to look at how dirty your water is. <laughs> not, not to lament over the, the, the grime and the muck and the dirt that's in your water. Not to be overwhelmed by the dust of your past. But to understand that your story is God's story. That your story, your pain is God's platform. And it's a story of redemption. And the platform declares His glory. He shines His light. He calls forth light from dark. And I believe that one day we will all sit in a room together. And this is really, really, really my hope. That one day every single one of us will sit in a room together. And we will say, look at what God has done. He truly has kept the best until last. The best is yet to come. For your life, for your family, for this church, for our city, the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together.